Hello, everyone, and welcome to Couch Politics. My name is Justin, and today um, I'm here with Daniel and guest host uh, Alberto. And today we'll be talking about the Mueller report that was just released uh, on Thursday. So we're recording this on Thursday. Uh, by the time you hear this, it will be Monday. But yeah, so we'll be talking about the Mueller report. Uh, just want to let you know you can reach out to us uh, by via email at couchpoliticstalk at gmail.com and also on Twitter. And that is at Politics Couch. And remember to rate us on whatever podcasting uh, service that you listen to podcasts at. And just love, if you have any questions or concerns, um, please let us know. We're always willing and uh, waiting to hear from you. So, uh, yeah, so today we have guest host Alberto. Welcome, Alberto, to the podcast. Hi, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, talk to you guys. Yeah, we've been trying to get you on the podcast for a while. Uh, we thought that we would have Sergio or, or Manny here today, but uh, they have conveniently taken the day off. So uh, we will continue in their in their absence. So, um, of course, we're going to talk about today what most of America, or at least people paying attention to the news, are talking about, and that is the much-anticipated Mueller report that was released today. A summary was released uh, not too long ago when it was uh, revealed that it was done. That was like a four-page report. Today, we basically got um, most of it. Well, at least what um, hasn't been redacted for legal and security concerns. And so we're basically dealing with the fallout from that today. Um, basically, the Mueller report has concluded that while Trump hasn't uh, basically committed like collusion, that it's... It can't say that he hasn't committed any conspiracy crimes, if I'm not mistaken. And it wasn't prepared to go that far and basically passed off that judgment uh, to Congress. And so that has caused a lot of buzz uh, about what's going to happen next. So uh, let me get your thoughts on what's what's going on with this issue. Uh, Daniel, I'll start with you. Well, you know, let's it's funny that it came out this way because a couple months ago I was talking, speaking to a friend saying like there has been so much media attention on this and so many people getting angry about uh, this uh, Russian investigation. And I told my friend it could be, you know, contrary to what the, pop the media says, it could be that he could come out and say there's no collusion. And here we are today. You know, what, what do I think of it? I mean... I feel like he made a very uh, precise statement. Tries he tried to be as truthful as possible. Like he cannot fully say that Trump. He cannot fully exonerate Trump, but he also can't fully um, make a judgment on on whether or not he willfully uh, he willfully colluded. Um, the second investigation was about obstruction of justice, and that that seems to bite people in the butt like like once a government starts to investigate you and you want to obstruct justice like what gets you in trouble is the obstruction in, instead of the actual thing so yeah that might that might still be something that democrats can pursue for political gain if they if they wish mm. uh alberto your thoughts on this whole situation so i wanted to clarify a few points just to make sure we're on the same page about the information that's out there as far as the Mueller report is concerned um, from the sources that I'm able to find um, on the discussion of the Mueller report, and as well as reading the report itself directly, the Mueller report itself states that he doesn't have enough evidence to strongly 
convict him on obstruction uh, on not on obstruction of justice, but on um, collusion with Russia. That yep. there isn't enough evidence to either exonerate him to say that he obviously didn't commit uh, collusion with Russia, and there isn't enough evidence to say that he totally, without a reasonable doubt, um, colluded with Russia. So it's a case in which you have an investigation into the case of collusion originally, yes, mm-hmm. and the evidence isn't there to, without an, without a shadow of a doubt, uh, convict Trump of collusion with Russia. And that's good. Like you, That's good for the country. And depending on your political views, you might see this as negative. Um, but to me, it's, it's good news to come out that our president isn't colluding with an external country and trying to undermine our um, democracy. Right. So to me, that's good news for us. But the investigation continues into the idea of did he try to impede the investigations in order to um, hide from any wrongdoing that he did during his campaign and during this investigation? And as far as that information is concerned, there is a lot of information out there that he very much uh, took steps to obstruct the investigation. And that's pretty universal as far as the um, evidence is concerned. So the idea and the argument is, does that warrant obstruction of justice, which is a legal term, or is it more immoral and um, a wrong act, but not necessarily um, under the legal term of obstruction of justice? So if you want to go into the details of that, he very much uh, tried to influence the results of Flint, of Manafort, of Stone, Cohen, and there were cases in which he was trying to remove Mueller um, or tell his underlings to remove Mueller, um, trying to influence Sessions directly and order, in, um, and order McGann to lie. And those are all negative things. Like you, you do not want your president to try to hide from an investigation. Right. Right. And, and, and I think one of the, the, the interesting things that came out is that it said in part that Trump actually, you know, at times uh, told his um, people on his um, team to do stuff that could possibly be illegal. And the reason it didn't get done was that they said, no, we're going to find what the exact like quote is here. But um, that was one thing I found interesting uh, in the report. Right. So and quite a Right. So while you find it, let me comment on what Alberto said. Um, so clearly Trump started to panic. We saw that there's a quote that says when he when uh, Sessions told Trump that the Mueller report was going to start, um, there's going to be a special counsel under Robert Mueller. Um, you know, we saw it's on the news where he, he sunk down in his chair and he said, what did he say? Do you remember, Alberto? It was, um, I think, well, I'm not, I'm not quoting like pervade, pervade, right. um, verbatim here, but it was like more like, oh, this is going to be the end of my presence, presidency. We're expletive. And um, then he went to like Jeff Sessions and was like, uh, well, at least he said something to the to the fact that like investigations like this could end presidencies. 
So he's really concerned about the impact of an investigation, the Maryland investigation, right. on his president. Right. So he he was already very very concerned. Um, what you know, it, it's bad for his presidency, but also it, it that also alludes to he may know that there's some stuff that he did that that can put him in jail and whatever, however he messed up and however he uh, possibly acted illegally, he, he was definitely concerned about it or at least concerned of how it would affect his ability to get things done, which is what is seen in the quote where he says, you know, it's just going to be this for two years and I'm not going to be able to do anything while president. Right. So to many right. people that would be seen as having a guilty mind. And I would agree with that statement, right? Like it isn't a case in which Trump is completely exonerated of having committed no fault within this investigation. That is not the case. There are many instances, and specifically one moment that um, has been in the news cycle for a long time, um, and that of his campaign speech in which he quotes, and this is a direct quote, uh, Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing, right? (laughs) Yeah, And then within within the Mueller report, it states, event right and it says within approximately five hours of trump's statement gru which is russia affiliate um officers targeted for the first time clinton's personal office after candidate trump's remarks um unit 26165 created and sent malicious link targeting 15 email accounts the investigation did not find evidence of earlier gru attempt to compromise accounts hosted on this domain so there's a direct correlation between his statement his public statement and um, Russian influence within the election. Right. So that is a direct one-to-one correlation. But does that, without a shadow of a doubt, um, lead to direct collusion of the presidency of the president? I don't have the legal knowledge to answer that question. And it's a lot of people on the right, a lot of legal experts on the right say that that is not the case. Um, Mm But well, I, I think there's definitely that, like well, go ahead. there's definitely a case to be made. Right. And I think that like on the one hand, you can say that maybe he was, you know, he purposely did that and that that's what he was aiming for was to let Russia know uh, to do that. Or if you're on, on the other side of the current, you could just say like, oh, he just said that. And the Russia was like, wait a minute, like, hey. Like, perhaps maybe we should go like check out her emails and stuff. And then here they go and they start. It does look suspicious that as soon as he said that, like, Rucker, Russian hack, hackers begin to start hacking. Right. Or at least trying to attain right. information for the first time. Uh-huh. Um, and, in sure. regards, and in regards to his campaign, the people that worked under him and the people that he was close to as far as led his campaign, um, that is why they've been indicted and that is why they've been charged with uh, criminal charges because right. they, they, they p- people under Trump um, create did illegal acts, right? Specifically talking about uh, Manafort sharing internal polling data with Russia. Mm-hmm. That wow correlation. That's that's essentially collusion, right? But that isn't Trump saying or or giving the command for collusion between you know an external state and um, his campaign. Right? Right. So it's an right. underlying. So it's it's a lot of case of there being smoke but no fire. Um, yeah. We're still so, looking for the smoking gun. That's right. that's the uh, that's the best case. I, I don't think Trump is a complete idiot. Like, I think people right. left portray him as as a dope, um, and I think in many instances, you know, that's a correct 
portrayal when it comes to a lot of his like knee-jerk reaction responses. But mm. when it comes to um, understanding public opinion and understanding how to um, evade um, negative outcomes, like such as the ones that we're seeing today, Trump is smart. Like, he, he doesn't directly, um, there's no evidence of direct correlation between him and Manafort. There's no evidence of mm-hmm. like any direct smoking gun evidence like there was for the Watergate scandal, right? There was the right. one tape where like, even if you supported um, President Nixon at that time, Nixon, thank you. Um, you, you. You listen to that tape and you're like, okay, well, you know, this, this guy's guilty. So there's not this one smoking gun event. And to Trump's credit, that's because of his judicious um, attempts to protect himself. And if he's innocent, then obviously that's like, that would make sense. Um, right, right. So it depends on your political leanings to say if Trump colluded with Russia. Um, mm-hmm. I am like Mueller. I don't think there's enough evidence of that. Like I support Mueller's case as far as him stepping away from the conversation. A lot of people are both from the left and the right are angry at Mueller because he didn't either um, condemn the president or he didn't either, either exonerate the president. He essentially right. stepped back and passed it on to Congress, which right. to me I see as um, the right step to do, the right thing to do. But a lot of people both from the left and the right are, are angry that there's not a concrete solution to the to this event, right? And that it's going to continue to be in the public eye. And I, personally, I think it's good because it's it's good to have a discussion about these topics or these events. Like Russia influenced our election. Russia definitely um, colluded to some extent with certain individuals um, mm-hmm. that were with the United States. With the president of the United States, that's not yet to be seen. Um, so what do you do with this information? To right. me, and I, um, sorry, just last point would be to say is that to me, you have a civil discussion about the facts and you start a conversation. Well, I, I think one good point that, that you had was that it's a good thing. I and mean, I, I know for many Americans who don't like Trump, they're like they're probably, you know, shaking their heads and like shaking their fists. But I think it's a good thing that the president of the United States, at least legally and without sufficient evidence, has not been proven to um, have been involved in collusion. At least that's what that evidence shows. Because right. uh, while, you know, for people who don't like Trump, that would have been like, you know, ah, oh, great, we can finally impeach him. It's highly um, scandalous and it's highly and it's a very big instability factor in the world of politics. Some people just want to get Trump out of office so badly they don't care really how it's done. Um, if we have to impeach him, put him on trial and everything, that, that goes really far to put doubts into the American democratic system. Um, it goes a lot to destabilize the world. That'll just probably even destabilize markets a bit. And it will have a huge effect beyond just Trump leaving office. Plus, you know, I don't think that, you well, first of all, with, with Congress, the makeup of Congress and the Senate, um, I'm, he may get impeached, which I, which I think would still be a long shot, but um, right. him, like leaving office, I'm not even sure like that would, that would happen either. Um, so right. those are two separate things. Right. 
so impeaching him is like okay so he's been impeached but him leaving office is like a totally another another thing um and so and, and for me personally like and, and that was you know when i first heard about this and heard that Mueller hadn't made a judgment call on it i was one of those people that was like well he just like you know kind of copped out and just passed on the buck but going back and kind of reading more into it, it does seem like that was the best decision to make. And I think he even said from a legal point, he didn't feel comfortable making that judgment call. And we passed it on to Congress. And, you know, Congress is already in talks or, or wants to pull people, um, bring them into uh, before Congress and have them talk. Robert Miller, uh, Barr, the attorney general, and bring them before Congress and have them talk about some of this stuff. Uh, before Congress. Mm-hmm. Daniel, right. any thoughts you have? Yeah, it was just some minor comments. Uh, when when Trump first found the sound, there's this quote now that we've already read. I would think that there is a right-wing um, point of view that will latch on to the fact that he said this investigation isn't, you know, is going to take up these two years and it's not going to let me do anything. Um, just, I think, uh, Right-wing media can definitely take that to mean that he's concerned to actually get things done, but not not that I support that idea. I just think there's room for that. And I wanted to kind of reiterate what Chris Christie said and, and what Manny also once told me is that, uh, like, as far as the there, as far as Trump colluding, let me just stick with Christie. Uh, Christie thought that basically Trump wasn't that clever to actually collude with Russia, but there are people around him who did. And Chris Christie's regret with with how Trump treated him was that Christie genuinely, when he realized he wasn't going to win, he was going to look what he said publicly is he was going to look. He he says, "Okay, look, who's going to be the Republican nominee? Donald Trump. All right. So let me actually try to make this guy the best candidate I can make. Uh, And Christie worked hard. Christie helped him set up. uh, I think I don't know if it was like 400 binders or something. It's a lot of stuff. Uh, he 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 set up how to how to actually um, open up a new government. Apparently, uh, both candidates, Hillary Clinton and Trump, or Republican and Democratic presumptive nominees, have to, from an early point, uh, organize the government they're going to run. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Christie did right, that yeah. for Trump, but because Christie put Jared Kushner's dad in jail, Kushner just threw basically made Trump throw Christie away pick Mike Pence and then all the Chris Christie's work was completely neglected and who did you see um, coming in to help Trump organize his government all of these dudes going to jail now sure so, and to add to that um, the Mueller report states like Chris Christie within the investigation um, oh. it's in a positive light Chris Christie refused to facilitate bizarre phone calls between him and James Comey um, um, that's not a direct quote but uh, essentially Trump did like there there are instances in which Trump like wanted um, certain things from Chris Christie and Chris Christie was one of the people within his cabinet that denied him those things right and he isn't within the cabinet anymore um, so again another instance of someone who was under him who denied him the right to uh, commit fraud in certain cases and right. the case for obstruction of justice would be a lot stronger if the people that were under Trump um, followed through with their, uh, right. with the orders. Mm, um, so there's, un- there's definitely an intent from Trump to, to obstruct justice, right? right. Um, and that's, that's undeniable from the facts that I can see. 
Um, but the case is for the legal definition of obstruction of justice. Um, it's, it's a very narrow scoped thing. Um, and especially when it comes to, uh, witness tampering. Um, so right, right. Look at the facts and taking a look at who is doing the action. Um, you need to take it, you need to go over it with a fine tooth comb in order to, uh, indict a president. And so mm-hmm. what, what Mueller rightfully did is recuse himself from the, in a, in a way, recuse That's himself it. from the investigation. Oh, never um, uh, from, from, not from the investigation, but from uh, committing judgment. to, right, committing to passing judgment um, and left it up to Congress. And one thing I would like to clarify for the listeners is that impeachment isn't like, isn't a yes or no offense. Impeachment isn't kicking the president out of office. Impeachment is right. a process. It's like, it's a legal term. It's a process in which um, Congress goes over um an event with the president in which the president has the right to defend himself. Um, mm-hmm. So if because Mueller Bill Clinton got impeached, right? Right, exactly. So right. if, if you're Mueller, right. And you want to negatively impact the president, right. You can go ahead and do that. But if you do, the president has no right to defend himself under, under that circumstance, right. He has no legal recourse to defend himself and there's no legal precedent for um, the Justice Department to indict a sitting president. So right. it, it seems unclear to me what Democrats want from this situation. I think that passing on the baton to Congress is the right move in my eyes, but it's also the most messy move because it, it tosses the baton to a group of people who are indecisive about their actions, even within the Democratic Party, and a group of people who are contentious with whatever the facts are and who are in conflict of what they want to do next. So right. see, or what we see within the next coming weeks or days will definitely help paint a picture of where people stand. Um, mm. I've also been trying to find sources from like right-wing media in order to get a, a better picture of how this investigation is being portrayed. Um, one of the sources right. I was able to find that isn't necessarily right wing, but to me, someone in the middle, um, but to many people on the Democratic side, someone who's on the right, um, Ben Shapiro did a very good analysis on the Mueller report. If you guys want to have um, to read through the response that he has to the Mueller report. Um, and essentially what he goes through is that, as far as he can tell, there is no collusion between uh, Trump and the Russian government. The Russian government 100% tried to influence our election and uh, Mueller is essentially giving uh, Congress the not the judgment the prerogative to impeach the president. Um, And again the process, not not kick him out of office but to go through the process of having a, a discussion of what happened during the presidency during the elections and um, what his effect was on the 2016 election. Right. And and then right. you bring up well, a good okay. point there that I think most people are missing is because um, everyone's focused on the whole Trump thing. Uh, I think we need to be focusing more, and you brought this up in discussion before the podcast. We need to be focusing a lot more on this whole Russia interfering with our elections. Um, at the um, 
at the intelligence uh, meeting not too long ago, I think it happened like January, uh, one of the big um, issues that they talked about was the was hacking by foreign powers, China, Russia being the big two. Um, and we've seen in this last election, at least in the Trump election, whether we see there's no collusion before it's a question of whether or not Trump actually was colluded with the Russians to do it. But we do know for a fact that Russia took interest in our elections and did so to make sure that Trump won. And we need to focus, I feel, a lot on making sure that that doesn't happen again. I feel like for a lot of this discussion, at least what I'm hearing from most politicians or have heard, is when they do talk about it, it's more of like, yeah, so we need to keep the we need to make ensure that democratic process is is protected. But it, it's more of a secondary um, thing. It's more of a secondary thing to, to do. More we need to either defend Trump from collusion charges or make or um, defend Trump from collusion Trump charges or make sure that we get him on collusion charges and not so much focus as soon put on the fact that. Russia has actually been trying to influence our elections and what uh, and it probably who knows how long they've been doing it. This has been a really whole pro- profile, high profile election. So we, we know this this time. And what are we going to do in the future? Are we ensuring that the democratic process is protected from foreign influence in the way that was last time? I know that the FBI and, and uh, national um, security administration have taken some steps. They outlined that they have, um, taking some steps in that intelligence meeting back in January, but I I think it needs to be more of a of a national conversation. Uh, what do we do to protect us going forward? Because uh, electronic warfare is the way of the future, and one of the ways to destabilize a country is to meddle with their elections. Right, right. So, as far as yeah, securing U.S. elections is really what we ought to be be thinking about. Uh, so one of the things I want to mention is the ability to te- of technology to really um like uh, to really deceive the masses i mean this time russia just used memes and basically just inflammatory politics within memes different part you know uh, there was a fake it was a little more there, than memes but that was a part of it i mean i'm saying memes as a big general thing just things people share online one thing that i think that the gov- the us government desperately needs to to look into is how to protect uh election cycles and american people from misinformation that comes from things like deep fakes and you know as as um artificial intelligence and and machine learning becomes more advanced you'll be able to create fake videos of real of real people doing whatever and saying whatever and as as machines gain the ability to mimic your voice and make it say whatever and mimic your person and and make it do whatever it's it's going to be something that's going to be dangerous and i think the u.s government desperately needs to pour in research into how to the determine um, a fake video from a real one and um we just have to think about that and i think that one issue okay remember now i think one issue we have is that we have politicians who are empowered to to not really look at today's problems and solve them, but look at uh, certain partisan ideologies and special interest groups to promote their ideas. Like today's problems is one of the things that people have been talking about for decades now is climate change. Today's problems are, uh, you know, automation and other things that are going to affect people today. And it's going to affect people within the next couple decades. That is not something that, career politicians are 
are um, able to deal with. We need actual problem solvers in Capitol Hill. Right. I, I would extend it a little bit and I would pass the baton on to us as people, us as friends currently, right, having this conversation and the listeners too, whoever um, has the ability to have an interest within politics. Um, I think uh, amongst a lot of young people or at least amongst people that I talk to, um, I'm 23 now, um, I'm still in university and the idea of having a conversation about these issues is very foreign to a lot of people. Um, people push away from the idea of talking about politics because um, either it's uncomfortable, people don't want to be divisive, um, or they're, they, ha- they have deeply held beliefs that they don't want to challenge. Um, so I think it's more a case of Congress being a reflection of, in some cases, uh, of the people, right? And at the moment, people are disinterested in politics. Um, it doesn't seem like it as far as um, our election cycle is concerned and our social media is concerned, but when it comes to the amount of people that go out to vote, people are disinterested in politics in, right. in that direct measurement. Um, so I, I wanted to also respond to what you mentioned about uh, cyber campaigns and mm-hmm. When it comes to Russian interference within our election, I wanted to add that it's more than just Russia sending uh, memes to our country or having illegitimate conversations with U.S. citizens, um, which, are, which are all things we should be concerned about. But it extends to having a directly correlated, correlated campaign against um, email servers, a directly correlated campaign against um, servers containing uh NSA information. So it isn't necessarily just trying to facilitate anger within our uh, demographics. It's also a direct attack against information that is hidden both from the public and um, contain national security information. So when it comes to Russian meddling within the election, it extends to that type of attack. Think more on the lines of... um, direct hacking on servers more than uh, facilitating false conversations. Well, sometimes I think like what the servers, I guess this time around what they, what the Russians exposed, you know, they exposed the fact (laughs) that the DNC helped Hillary win, you know, that the the DNC kind of, uh, kind of, let me say colluded with Hillary. So to make sure Bernie didn't win, but, um, but yeah, so I feel like it leaks are are dangerous, but they also reveal important things. But I I totally understand what you're saying. Yes. But at the same um, time, I, go ahead. Like, but at the same time, when it's like a foreign power that's releasing the right. leaked information, that's that's a problem. Like you know, leaking information can be can be like a, a good thing at times, but when a foreign power is doing it, it's only to hurt. Um, is only to destabilize that country in some some way. It's right. never to in that country's interest. It's in theirs. Oh, right. Or it's else, why would you and it also directly leads to um, journalist deaths. Like uh, especially within the last couple of years, there's been a spike in journalist deaths throughout the world. Um, 
And I'm talking about like real journalism, people who are investigating uh, corruption cases, people who are uh, going out of their way to go to war zones um, and find out the truth about the situation. This is what people should fund. This is what people should understand about journalism, that it is to our benefit. Um, and there's a really big coordinated, coordinated um, attack against uh, journalism in general. And to some extent, I can see that I can see why, um, especially with our media within the United States. You see a lot of false flags being raised. You see a lot of contentious reports being made, um, both from the left and from the right. Um, and you see a lot of essentially lying. People like, mm -hmm. like the new term fake news, but right. I, think, I think fake news should be reserved to something that is quite legitimately 100% false. Um, but what you see more nowadays is the idea that the media is lying to you. And in many cases, that is true. But people have to also be aware that there are journalists out there, that there are people out there trying to investigate the cases um, in order to tell us, the people. And we should support those people, um, especially when it comes to the release of something like the Panama Papers. That was a correlated, right. a coordinated um, effort by many journalists across many states and countries um, in order to expose corruption on a massive scale. And there were a lot of repercussions for that. Um, you saw a lot of presidents, a lot of leaders step down from power due to the panic. Mm -hmm. These are mm -hmm. things we want to applaud and see. Um, there's a lot of focus on right now in the U.S. as far as um, events today concern uh, news media. And with right, with good reason, because we have a lot of money. But right. I want viewers to, or listeners, excuse me, to understand that journalists are in your enemy, individual journalists. It's people who are trying to um, expose a certain narrative. It's people who are trying to move a conversation in a certain direction. It's news conglomerates. It's um russian it's like the right and you're absolutely right that you know journalists are an essential uh part of our democracy um they're a part of the free press they're part of um exposing things that we uh may not that, that may be hidden from the american people um and like you said with the panama papers there was the pentagon papers back uh when vietnam was going on that you know exposed a lot of things going on in the you know, the Department of Defense, Pentagon, and um, how they handled the war in Vietnam. Um, and so journalists do fulfill a critical role in our in our democracy. And there has been a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of, I, I feel like, a mismanagement of, of the news industry, how they are um, producing news, how they are um, propagating news, what they focus on. Hmm. Um, and, uh, also, um, I mean, we even see it's, it's like, and I, I still feel uncomfortable when I see like president Trump going after, uh, like the news industry. And, you know, sometimes it, it is, uh, uh, you know, a, maybe a, a justifiable, um, it may be something justifiable, but still it, it, it just looks and feels wrong to see the president of the United States, you know, going after, uh, a news organization on Twitter, 
You know, uh, it feels like, you know, it's because he's the president, it, it, it has more, I feel like, um, wait, it has more of a predatory feel to it than like a, like a citizen going out there and saying like, oh, you know, like this news media. I mean, this is the guy who's the head of the United States government and he's going after uh, the press. Um, sure. And and a lot of the times is when they're asking legitimate questions and and he's, he's going after them as if they're if if he's basically going after them like a businessman would like who's someone who's trying to keep, you know, trying to manage something. Um, I mean, he was a businessman before, so he's, I bet, I'm pretty sure that's kind of where he gets his manager of the press from where he's just like, oh, well, if I can't really control the narrative or well, I, I'll try to control the narrative. In this way, and the way by doing that's to going on Twitter and, and spouting what what I feel um, at this moment. So, and, and I feel like that's put a lot of people uh, against the press, um, especially if you're a right winger. You feel like you know the press is is going after your favorite president, and then on the left as well, you see that they some of them feel like there's not doing the, the media is not doing enough uh, mm-hmm. in, that, in that particular situation. So yeah, it's it's. Um, we have to realize that journalists out there, there are honest journalists out there who are putting their lives at risk in some cases to, you know, expose um, these things um, and basically are doing their jobs to help keeping uh, the American democracy going. Right. Right. I would also add to this um, in having a conversation about how do we secure our elections? Um, and this might lead to an extension of this podcast where we can have Sergio and Manny on because I'd, I'd love to hear their views on this topic um, and right. also listeners' views on this topic because it's it's a complicated discussion to be had about the idea of free speech, about the idea of how we manage conversations in the public space. Um, mm-hmm. And when it comes to the public space, um, in the times of the founding of this country, it was quite literally that, you know, the public market, your local grocery store, um, the people that were around you. But with the facilitation of technology, with the addition of social media, um, you now have platforms um, where you can have discussions. Um, and these platforms are constantly under attack by foreign actors. Um, the term, The term constantly at war is a good term to use here because it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a fight between two competing sides in which um each side tries to technologically advance itself above the other trying to get past filters right. trying to get past um certain sections of online platforms um and affect mm-hmm. either our elections or what we think about things and the us is culpable of these things too um especially exactly. if you look at redacted uh redacted conversations that we've had in the past um in foreign countries um mm-hmm. and one good example of this that listeners can think about is um during world war 2 we would fly a plane over a city um letting them know that you know we supported the people there um, that we were on their side and like dropping pamphlets from the skies, right? Because right. that was the easiest way to converse with people on the ground um, from the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Um, and other countries did this too, right? But nowadays, how, how do you have a discussion with um, another country's population through social media? 
And you don't do it with, you know, the state media account of the United States or the state media account of Iran or whatever country you want to pick. You do it through false, false accounts. Um, so the reason I think it's a discussion to be had with someone like Manny or someone like Sergio is because it does lead into this idea of conflicting with free speech. Right. And you see the the, the evolution of the free speech uh, of what's, what constitutes free speech, how far is it before you say like, you know, this isn't appropriate anymore. Um, really with the rise of, of, of these platforms like Facebook and Twitter, where sure, sure. Uh, you're, you're behind the computer screen. No one knows who you are. You can say whatever you want and people who, and you know, people who may not even be a ter- like following you can see what you say. Because maybe mm-hmm. someone else liked it, maybe the algorithm threw it your way because you watched that one, you know, right wing or left wing video, and suddenly you're mad and you're like, "Oh, this shouldn't be said on the on the, on the internet," or "I shouldn't, this shouldn't be said at all because this is hate speech," or um, "This could be like a call." Well, I mean, a call to violence is a that's a whole other topic, but this can be considered hate speech. And then you go into like definitions of what hate speech is, because for some people the level for what may be considered hate speech is really high for others it, the bar could be really low and sure. so and like hate speech isn't a legal term it it it's very loose with its definition and it depends on the platform right. um mm-hmm. and like, i just can clarify this for me um but where i was going with this conversation was again tying it back to this idea of um foreign influences within our election um it's more i'm more leaning towards the idea of um certain accounts or certain people being silenced um mm. when you have a platform that's as large as twitter or facebook or pick your flavor, favorite social media um and you have a wave of fake accounts being propagated throughout your account throughout your your platform um mm-hmm. you try your best to delete those fake accounts accounts that are right. demonstrably fake right um so social media platforms are bound to make errors um they try exactly. their best but it's right. you have to think of the idea of scale here. 18 million, if I remember correctly, and listeners can correct me on this, but I think uh, something on the order of like 18 million users a day sign up for Twitter. Um, the, the, that scale is immonstrably high. Um, yeah, so they're bound to be caught in the weeds of getting their accounts deleted or getting their accounts um, silenced. Um, so there is a big discussion to be had about how do we facilitate an open conversation where freedom of speech is protected, um, where we can have a good conversation with each other um, while still protecting ourselves from foreign actors? Right, um, right. And it's a, it's a hard discussion to be had because ultimately it's, it has to do with technology. It has to do with mm-hmm. our, our advancement of uh, artificial warfare. And I say that as in the development of a defensive artificial intelligence versus offensive artificial intelligence, right? Because that's how these media platforms um, filter out accounts. It isn't through like one big filter. It's through a series of filters and a series of algorithms. Um, so that's a conversation to be had um, with people as far as free speech is concerned because i'm a big proponent of free speech it's it's one of our tenets uh, of our constitution it's the biggest tenet of our constitution and it's pretty Mm -hmm. unique um, when it comes to other countries like a lot of other countries don't have 
the protection of freedom of speech within their constitution. Right. It's a very American idea. And, you know, I'm proud of it because of that. Um, but there's also the idea that um, freedom of speech can doesn't extend to foreign actors. And it's hard to prove if you are a foreign actor when yeah, it comes to social yeah. media, like an account itself. Right. Um, right. And again, my point of view is, again, very technological and very... Uh, driven by the platforms and the, the technologies that we use because um, that's what I'm exposed to on a daily basis or like that's the information right. that's available to me. Um, mm. The merit of the socio-political conversation isn't something I have a lot of experience with, um, but I try to have an open conversation with people because you ultimately want to learn more. Um, so I would right. encourage listeners to find their own facts, to find their own um, mediums. And when I say mediums, I mean that, like, find a right news source, find a left news source, and find the truth within that. But to many people, that takes effort. And the amount of effort people are willing to put in to receiving information is not very high. Um, so for a lot of people, they want this to be automated or even if they don't outwardly say they want it to be automated, they have it for them being automated. Um, so a discussion has to be had as to how these automated systems work and um, how they should work in the future. Well, one thing that I found interesting in the report when, when talking about how Russia uses information to engage in this sort of cybernetic warfare, um, they called it none other than information warfare you know what else is is has to do with information warfare? Infowars, Alex Jones. But, <laughs> oh my! And they, and they and they and they got this guy out. The guy that who's been preaching information warfare for decades has just got kicked out. And I, you know, not to go into that, I just thought it was funny. But if listeners my... want, want to listen to the conversation, that will be a discussion in the future. So stay tuned uh, for future podcasts within yeah, uh couch politics um yeah most definitely because we're gonna have uh we're definitely gonna bring alberto back we're gonna uh i'm gonna try to have manny and sergio on because they have very strong feelings uh about this uh topic uh as well um i wish they could have been here tonight for this particular one but they have other uh, obligations so right that's that right. As we wrap up, I would like to make one honorable mention about one thing about the investigation, the Mueller report that we didn't really cover, and I don't think is going to be a, a news story. But what I did quickly see from one clip in Fox News is that what the Mueller report does, you know, as a corollary, as, as something that, you know, is not the main point of it. it I think it exonerates Jeff Sessions, where early on, uh, what's what's his face? It's the, the Democratic senator who resigned, Al Franken. Um, kind of like pinned sessions down as like, oh, you you just lied. Like he caught, he put him in a corner and made it seem like Jeff Sessions was trying to cover up the, uh, some sort some sort of collusion or that Sessions was involved in stuff because you know Sessions messed up in his own words and stuff. But I think here, man, I'm I'm forgetting some of the important details here. But I think uh, here uh, in, in the meal report and how Sessions was ready. He, he said Sessions was ready with the, with the resignation letter 
Yeah, I read that. His job at all times, he was in the White House. Like Sessions was not interested in getting into into this, this sticky business, and it was Sessions that opened up the Mueller report and exonerated himself. I don't like Sessions. I don't like how you know what he's done. Uh, I guess I, I've I know that um, Loretta Scott King said that he would he would be bad for black people if given more judicial power. Um, and I know he's done things I disagree with, but I think that one person who comes out less vilified due to the report is Jeff Sessions. Hmm. Well, um, with that, um, I mean, you're, you're absolutely correct. Uh, Jeff Sessions does look like he has been exonerated from it. Um, and that is one of the consequences of the Mueller report. Uh, we definitely are going to have to see the fallout from this. Um, there probably definitely will be committees uh, at the ready to handle um, what's probably going to be a um, uh, probably going to be a lot more hearings about what's uh, inside of these, this report and its effect on you know, the president and what and us all going forward. So uh, I would like to thank Alberto for, for joining us for this uh, episode. I want to thank Daniel uh, as well. Uh, for wanna, no, no problem. Uh, we're glad to have you here, bringing your uh, unique perspective to this topic. I want to um, thank all our listeners for listening. Uh, you guys can reach out to us at couchpoliticstalk at gmail.com. And also on Twitter at Politics Couch. Uh, and so with that, this is the end of episode eight of Couch Politics. <laughs>